Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by James Tapster, Director of Pure Treatment Rooms. James, hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. We might as well jump straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Leader, leader to me is something that I think has evolved over many years as being in business on my own and also working for other people. I think there's a lot of different facets to what leader means to me, really. So leaders have multiple traits uh, that they can call upon. Is that is that what we're saying here? Yes, to a point. I think I think from my point point of view, uh, leader evolves through time. And if I look back, it's it's interesting. I'm approaching my 40th birthday next week. And if I look at myself potentially 20 years ago when I started working for myself, or basically being in a leadership role, my if you'd have asked me that question 20 years ago, my ideas and inspirations and answers would be totally different to the kind of ones I'm going to give you today. I think. Well, firstly, before we continue the podcast, happy birthday. Um, Thank you. <laughs> now, uh, when, when it comes to managing a team, uh, what approach do you take? I think now one of the, the key points for me to managing a team is to look at it as, as a whole that I want to be liked by my team. That's the number one. I think that's one of the most important things in my business. Um, and over the years of evolving, as I get older and reach my 40th, is that it's important for me to be liked by my team. Mm-hmm. Is I that think, informed uh, by your, your past as a sportsman? Yeah. Um, not necessarily as a sportsman. Um, because again, that's, that's slightly different. I think the questions years ago to leaders and uh, in business was, are you here to be uh, respected or are you here to be liked? And a lot of leaders, I think over the years that I've listened to, have mentioned, oh, I'm not here to be liked, I'm here to be respected and I, I want to gain respect of my um, business or my people that work for me and that's all I'm interested in. And I think as a younger man in a managerial situation, that's what I aspired to do and I wanted to be respected over being liked. Now as a kind of come through, I've realized that one of the most important things to have a good, successful team behind you and with you is for them to like you. And in, in a, and also that would help and assist in you or me personally in my work, enjoying that because I like my team. So over kind of the two choices of being respected or liked, I think I'd, I'd rather be liked every, every day rather than be respected. However, when somebody likes you, I do believe they have to have an element of respect for you as well. Of course. So it's very important to foster that kind of cooperative atmosphere amongst your staff. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. So I think I think as well as a facet of that, as a building block from being liked by your team, it's also important that you're not asking your team to do something that they wouldn't think that you would do or have mm-hmm. not done in the past. So that no job is, is beneath you or beneath them or above you or above them. I think a lot of people in a team will look at you if you ask them to do something and assess, is that fair? Is that reasonable? And will that leader, will that manager do that? Or have they done that in their past? And if they're prepared to say, yeah, they will do that, I think it collaborates a lot easier rather than you 
asking a member of your staff or a member of your team to do something that you, they know that you would never do or never done in, in the past. And I think that's again, goes back to linking to be liked, to be recognized. As, as an example of that, coming from a sports background or a professional sports background, um, when I'm in a team with a captain or a manager and they're asking me to do something on that rugby pitch or on that sports field, I'm looking and thinking, would they do that? Would they put their body on the line for me? Would they do that? And 99 times out of 100, yes, the answer is yes. So you're very prepared to do it for them because you know that they will respond and do it for you. So it's important to lead by example. Yes, definitely. But I think the example comes through through years of learning from others. So often, um, if, if I, I look at myself as a sportsman, and I wasn't a leader on the sports field. I was like a number two or a number three that took took my job very seriously sporting-wise, but did never want, I never wanted to be a captain. I never wanted to lead a team. I was very, very happy in being a, a member of that team and contributing at a high level. But now evolving through business and evolving through work, I always see myself, regardless of what I'm doing, as, as a leader of that team and wanting to take responsibility and lead from example to do something that other people think, yes, James has done that, or James would, would do that with me, etc. through that. So it's, it's quite a, a different different way of looking at it, really. Did you have an example that you looked to when you first started out in your working life? An example of, as a person that I looked up to? Yes. Um, I, I often looked at sporting people because, again, that, that was my background, but and from that, I came to I came into sport very late. So the professional and international sport, I came in as a late bloomer. So I often looked at everybody for assistance and everybody for help. So when I came into business and to work for myself, my inspiration was often a lot of people around me um, because I was working almost with clients on a daily basis and patients and, uh, and, and in health and fitness and rehab. I was looking and I was lucky to be working with a lot of managers and a lot of leaders that I had one on one time with. They were paying for my time. So I often looked at, at them um, for advice and still do through now 20 years where I've got new people coming in all the time. And I'm work, I'm very lucky I'm working with directors, people at the United, MBEs, OBEs, senior, juniors a huge range and I like to look at and think that I can take something from all those or they inspire me by again me not having an ego that I'm no best and I know everything I think I'd like to look and, and, and cherry pick all the advice or, or pick the advice from a, a large group of people and think yeah that suits me best but that, I think that evolves again going through 20 years ago um, coming out of professional sport as a young man, you have a bit of a bravado and a bit of an ego. And now my ego is kind of locked away and has been dampened. Again, approaching 40, um, I'm managing to go into situations where, as a, as a leader, I think it's good to have an ego, but it's, very, it's also very good to be able to hold it and not dominate a situation. Now, all these uh, examples that you've gleaned from uh, many different people over the years, uh, do you impart this to uh, younger people coming into your field? And what is your advice that you'd give uh, a, a young person who's considering a career uh, in your field? My, my advice to, to, to people, and I've been asked this a couple of times actually over the past year, and I stopped and thought about the answer to this. Firstly, my, my advice is to 
for people not to worry as much in work and and primarily to enjoy themselves. I think it's really important. We we work so hard and for so long, and everybody that's listening, and including yourself and other people, we all work hard, and it's um, no good thing or someone works harder than others, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's to enjoy that working time and not let it, not take it, and I, I mean this in a an ironic way, but not take it too seriously. Um, although it, work, etc., is serious, you've got to be able to laugh at situations, and you've got to be able to, I think, apply. The, the correct type, some humour. So often I see some young people coming into the industry that almost seem very stressed and very bogged down with almost the world on their shoulders. And I like to kind of almost say to them, just relax. It'll be okay. Take it easy. Take a step. As in a couple of people I work with often say to me, take a breath and have a think first and then move forward from that. So looking at almost, if I looked at my younger self, what I would like to say to him, to a younger James is, don't don't stress so much. Just relax. It will be okay. Just go with what other people are advising you and enjoy the situation. Enjoy the journey rather than stressing too much about what's going to happen. Almost live in the moment, live in the now rather than looking forward about what's going to happen. I think that's quite an important bit of advice for a young person to come to enjoy the work life. It's not a battle. James, uh, that's fantastic advice. But the one thing that is absolutely a battle is the battle with time. And we're running quite short of it. Uh, but before I let you go, uh, what does the next 12 months have in store for Pure Treatment Rooms? Um, the next 12 months, we're expanding. And more and also, I work with some fantastic therapists, physiotherapists, osteopaths, and fitness consultants, etc. So we're always looking to add to our um ship really of more more professional therapists we're also branching out into some more online uh, functions so we're kind of evolving as a group getting bigger but also into the it world some more online things and also into the food market as well so we're constantly kind of reinventing ourselves but pushing forward with a with a look at the competition you know in the fitness world competition is rife you can get gets more and more and lots more young people come in so we're always trying to kind of keep keep ahead of the game and set the benchmark really. So just pushing forwards and um, in a nice way and enjoying ourselves. Well, James, it has been very enjoyable having you on the show today. Please come back and see us again soon. Uh, James, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you for your time. That was James Tapster, director of Pure Treatment Rooms. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me. 
uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, 
uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with Seven Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with, with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people... And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing... Um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position and somewhat fortuitously I only got back in the team because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the 
prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had we were very I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals uh, we had some great players but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know over the years and Jeff I've got to ask and I'm, I'm not making this up I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's." Uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, 
uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh, if you if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. The wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is showed, the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.